0: Well, thank you so much, young people. What a joy to hear young people use their gifts and talents to uh, serve the Lord. And we sure appreciate that tonight. And I want to say thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to be here this week. And to the missionaries that are part of the conference. And uh, how many would understand with a name like Folger that you hear things all the time, right? What do you think I hear? Coffee, right? That's exactly right. So when I was in high school, they used to call me Maxwell House and Mrs. Olson and all that kind of stuff. You know, all those type of things that go around with the coffee stuff. And so, you know, you just get used to that, and it's just kind of, your lot in life with a name like Folger. And so, my wife and I were up in Wisconsin a couple of years ago, and I was preaching a meeting. And, and I walked into the church on a Sunday morning, and there was a gaggle of teenagers. I call it a gaggle of teenagers, because they were just kind of huddled up in the, towards the back of the building. And they were there early, which is kind of unusual, because most of the time, teenagers don't show up to church real early. But they were having a good time. And the worst of it is, every time they looked at me, they'd laugh. And I'm, it made me just a little bit uncomfortable. You can imagine, you know, people look at you. I know that, you know, okay, did I, what, did I not get dressed this morning? What, what's going on, you know? And so it's just a feeling a little bit odd about that. And the next time I look back there, the pastor was right in the middle of him, and he was looking at me and laughing, too. And I'm thinking, what on earth is going on? And so I finally walked back there, and the teenager, one of the teenagers, was taking her phone, and she had made a meme on the phone. And in that meme, of course, was a big cup of coffee. And in the midst of the cup of coffee, there's about 10 of my faces swirling around with the caption, the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. So, so just, you know, you just get used to those type of things. And I do like coffee. I'm just not a real Folger fan. I wish I owned the company. I'd probably change it a little bit. But if you like Folgers, you're my friend anyway, so that's fine. So I, I shared that not long ago in a church, and a young man came up to me afterwards. And actually, I have a little meme, and I may show it tomorrow night, maybe just before the service, before I preach. I brought the meme with me that she made because I just thought it was quite interesting. So I was showing it one time in a church, and afterwards a young man came up to me. Here's what he said. He said, you know, Brother Folger, he said, I've never liked coffee, never have. He said, I don't even like the, the smell of it. And he said, from this point on, I won't even be able to look at it. So I just, the way it goes, you know, like you just have to learn how to deal with that. I do want to encourage you tonight, uh, after the service over with, please visit the tables of the missionaries. This, obviously, the focus of this particular conference is ASIA. And specifically, Asia is located in an area of the world that we call the 1040 window. 1040 window has the, the least evangelized people groups in the world. More people live in the 1040 window—five over 5 billion. So, a third of the world's real estate, and on the third of the world's real estate lives two-thirds of the world's population. And there's a great need of getting the gospel. And Jesus said, go into all the world to preach the gospel, not just the easy places, as if there are any easy places. But I think we all know there's some places that perhaps are a little bit more receptive and perhaps easier to reach than others. But Jesus said to go into all the world to preach the gospel. And then he said that the gospel should be preached in all the world before his coming. And so we have a job to do because we have not completed the task yet. So I would encourage you to stop by. And as you pick up these prayer cards, it's not just enough to pick up the prayer cards. Let's please pray for these missionaries. Put them on your prayer list. And sometime every week, you work through that prayer list and call them out by name and ask God to bless them and protect them and use them to use, do whatever God has called them to do. Uh, we are not the typical missionaries, but we have a prayer card. It's also on the uh, Welcome Center back there. We also have a brochure that's it's called Praying for the 1040 Nations. And we list, I think there's 49 different nations there with their population, the primary a religion that they worship, and we're praying for the God to send laborers to that, those harvest fields that the gospel be, can be reached there. We also have young people are into these things today, different things, and so we've made up these little stickers, and kids like to put stickers on binders and on their computers and things. We've got some of those back there that just uh, talk about spiritual leadership Asia with Matthew nine thirty eight on there, which simply says, "Pray to the Lord of the harvest; they send forth laborers into His harvest." So please help us with that this week. And pray for these missionaries that God has called them. Take your copy of God's Word and meet me, if you would, in the book of Mark, chapter number 2. Mark, chapter 2. When I was pastoring a church, I was often accused of preaching fast. So, uh, tonight, that's the task. I need to preach fast. And I want to get you home on a good hour. But we need to get to the task at hand, which is preaching the Word of God. And uh, we're here in Mark, chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading here in just a moment in verse number one. And if you're able to stand, would you stand please for just a moment so we have reverence to God's word. Mark chapter two, we'll begin reading verse number one. And the Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum. That word again is not insignificant. So just mark that down mentally in your mind. And again, he entered into Capernaum. After some days, it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached... The word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of a palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. I love verse number five. And when Jesus saw their faith, would you know the plural aspect of that? When Jesus saw their faith. He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And they're right. No one can forgive sins but God only. What they didn't realize was that God was in their presence. Verse number 8, And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Well, it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven, than to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say to thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose, and took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We've never seen it on this fashion. Thank You, you may be seated. When I was a boy growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, my dad was a truck driver in the early part of my life, up until about the sixth grade. My dad picked up a truck at the terminal every day, and he'd drive out of, out of the city. So he wasn't an over-the-road truck driver, but he did go out of town every day and make his deliveries. And uh, so most of my dad's route was to the west side of Cleveland, out to the western suburbs, and uh, outside of the county. And so one day he was making this delivery, and he backed his truck up to the terminal, was un, to the place where he was, uh, pick up some freight, so he stepped out of the cab, there was a light snow. It was February in northeast Ohio. As he stepped out of the cab, there was a light snow on the ground. What he didn't realize, that, that uh, this was a golf ball factory he was delivering to, and someone had dropped a golf ball in the snow, and so when he stepped out of the cab, instead of st- stepping on solid ground, he stepped on that golf ball, and it, 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 he kind of rolled his ankle. And if anyone's ever had that experience, you know it's a pretty painful thing, but you know, you, don't, you think, well, I, I can live with this. And so he got back in the truck and started on. And the rest of the day, things just got progressively worse. So that the time he got towards the end of the day, he was no longer able to do the, the, the clutch of the truck and, and to be able to do the things that were necessary. So he had to call the terminal and they had to send someone out to get the truck and they had to pick him up and take him in. Well, back in those days, you did not go to the, uh, to the uh, emergency ward. You had to go see the company doctor. So this was many, many years ago, and so that was the way they dealt with their injuries, and so the next day he had to go see this company doctor, and I just have to tell you, the doctor that the company had hired was, in modern technology, you just have to say he was a quack, okay? He was, he's just a, a terrible, terrible doctor, uh, very unsanitary conditions in his in his facility. My dad said there was a, an x-ray machine in the basement, he said that you go down to the basement, on the x-ray machine was was cardboard, and on the cardboard was dried blood. I mean, it just kind of gives you the idea of how unsanitary things were, and so he saw this doctor for a couple of weeks and finally went to see them. And this doctor did something very un, very unwise, but he, he, that day he took a scaffold and in, made an incision in my dad's ankle. And I don't mean to be gruesome, but it was not good. And uh, things went from bad to worse. And I watched as a young boy. So I'm about, at that point, maybe eight or nine years old. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching my father every day seemingly get weaker and weaker. And For some reason, you know how men are, we're just so stubborn, we just won't do what our wives want us to do. My mom wanted my dad to go see someone else. He said, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But he's just getting weaker and weaker. My dad has a twin brother and my dad's twin brother lived out of the city. And so my dad's twin brother came into town and saw how bad his brother was and literally physically picked my father up, stuck him in his car and took him to see a doctor. And that doctor took one look at my father and said, get him to the hospital. I'll have a, a, a specialist meet you there. Well, the specialist met them at the hospital, and my dad was very, very weak, I mean, to the point that he, he couldn't walk, he couldn't even try to walk, and, and so the doctor looked at him, and he said, Mr. Folger, you're in very serious condition. He told my uncle and my mother, who were there at the hospital, he said, Bob is in such bad shape, if we don't get the right antibiotics within him, within 24 hours, he's probably going to die. He had developed an infection in his bone that had made his bone just like butter and it had traveled through his body. and He was just almost septic at that point. Well, as you can understand, my, my dad did live. I'm thankful for that. But I'm just thinking to myself, if someone hadn't stepped into my dad's life physically, my life would have been much different as a boy growing up. I would have been growing up without a father in my life. And I'm so grateful for someone who stepped into my dad's life at a moment that was so necessary. Well, in our text, we see something very similar to that, don't we? We find a story about a man who cannot help himself he can't move from place to place. He had, had to have people carry him. And yet, with the help of some friends, they pick him up and they brought him to Jesus. And, and though he, they, they faced obstacles, I, I love the fact that though they faced obstacles, you know what they said, we're, we're not going to give up. We're going we're to get this job accomplished. I want us to walk through this passage together. Let me point out just three basic thoughts tonight for our, our, our thought about getting people to Jesus. Would you notice, please, as we walk through this passage together, the first thing I see in this text, I find a crowded house. Verses 1 and 2 talks to us about that. This, it talks about that, and again, he entered into Capernaum, and after some days, it was noise that he was in the house. And look at what, verse number 2. And straightway, many were gathered together, and so much there was no room to receive them. No, not so much about the door, and he preached the word unto them. So you have to ask yourself this question, why? Well, why was this house so packed? Why, why were all these people there? Why were they congregating to the point that no one could get in? And what, we, you, you see that word again, and it tells us that Jesus had been to Capernaum previously. And if we go back to the first chapter, we, we begin to see this and the the first the, the first couple of verses of Mark kind of introduce us to Jesus. You know, you have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and Matthew and, and Luke give us the early uh, days of even before Jesus' conception and how all God worked in all those circumstances to bring about the birthing of his son. Well, John and Mark are, are a little different. They, they start at a little different angle, and, and Jesus is already born, and, and John the Baptist is now on the spot, and God has sent this forerunner to prepare the world for Christ, and he's preaching, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, comes Jesus from Nazareth to be baptized by John. Did, did you realize that Jesus walked 60 miles for baptism? You, you cannot minimize a proper baptism and a right authority to baptize. And John had that authority from heaven, and Jesus said, I'll walk 60 miles to fulfill my father's purpose and plan. And I'm telling you that Jesus was willing to do that, and so that begins the public ministry of Jesus at age of 30, and the Bible talks about him going into the wilderness and being tempted of the devil, and then comes out and begins his public ministry, and we read here in this chapter about that public ministry, and the Bible talks to us about his word and his doctrine. Look, if you would, at verses 21 and 22 of chapter 1, the Bible says, and And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as as the scribes. Not about you, but I love good preaching. There's nothing better in my my life than to hear someone who can take the word of God and rightly divide it and and do what we call expository preaching and feed my soul. But can you imagine that the Son of God, who is the author of all scripture, takes the word of God and begins to preach it. And you can imagine why they were stunned by what they heard in that house and, and in that synagogue. And we, we, we find that something else happens in that synagogue. Verse 23, And there was in that synagogue a man with unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? Hath thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Gee, I'm sorry. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, they cried with a loud voice, and he came out of him. And they were all amazed, and insomuch they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this, and what doctrine is this? For the authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Notice verse number 28. And immediately, and immediately, his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And you begin to read the rest of the chapter, and And Jesus ends up at Peter's house, and as a result of that, we see that Peter, uh, God does some work there through the Lord Jesus Christ, and they start to bring all these people, and they're all healed, so so much as you get to the end of the chapter that Jesus can't even stay there. In other words, it's so overwhelming. Every place he goes, he's just overwhelmed, so he ends up leaving, but then we come to chapter 2, and now Jesus has come back to, 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 uh, to Capernaum, and the Bible says, and it was noise that he was in the house. Not about you, but I, I, I find that some, uh, quite a, a, amazing. So as we look at this, we, we find these people who are now responding, if you would, to the Son of God in this, in this situation. And you don't have to, you have to think, ask yourself this question. Well, we, we understand that he was, he was Jesus and he had God and he had this power. But, you know, there were things that were going on in their lives. You know, we, we often look at people and we don't always understand the backstory. And I'm going to tell you there's a backstory here of what's going on in the nation of Israel at this point. So as you understand that the nation of Israel had been invaded by the Romans, they they were held captive by these brutal people who come in and invaded their territory and their land. And as a, this brutal dictatorship came, they as it were they he, they put their boot on their neck and made their life very hard and very di- difficult with taxation and, and, and really desecrating their, their country by the things that they asked and the things that they did. So it made life hard. But then you add to it, so that's a political aspect. But then you add to it the spiritual aspect of the nation of Israel and its spiritual leaders, who at this time had degenerated God's word into a bunch of you know traditions and do's and don'ts, and, and you have to do it this way and you can't do it that way, and and, and made life so hard that even if if you're coming to worship, you had to buy a certain kind of animal with their particular money, and it was all it was all you know it's just terrible type of situation. So these people are, are are really grating, if you would, in their life, and it's so hard, and all of a sudden. God steps in. The breath of fresh air, the breath of heaven comes down. And God is walking among them. And this personification of what Israel had said God was like, this brutal dictatorship of this God who is so hard to deal with. Now Jesus is walking among them and showing them kindness and grace and compassion. No wonder they responded to him. My friends, we're living in a world today, as we think about this, we're living in a world today where our world is so callous and so hard and people are are demanding and and our world is cold and and we're so divided and and, and we're living in this kind of world. And I'm here, here to tell you, Christians, if we're not careful, we can begin to pick up that attitude and spirit too. And I'm telling you that I believe that God wants his house full again. And I want to tell you what, fills God's house when God's people get the touch of heaven upon their life. When they understand that there's a God in heaven who loves them and has done a work of grace in their heart and in their life, and God wants to work through them, and I'm here to tell you all of us are tools, and and as I said tonight, we're all rope holders. We can help people who God has called to go do a work, but we can also work in this community. And I want to tell you that God wants to do a great work in Martinsburg, West Virginia, and He wants to do it through your church, but He won't do it unless we have the breath of heaven upon us. It's a great need. This crowd was attracted to Jesus because of who he was and what he was. God was present in his flesh, and when he was in the house, something was going to happen. So we see this crowded house. Would you notice the second thing in this text? We find the faith of what I call the five. The faith of the five. In verses 3 through 5, we're introduced to five men that have a sense, think about this, a sense of desperation to get to Jesus. The man on the bed, we're told, is a man of palsy. We're not told whether the indication is that this man, uh, whether he's a quadriplegic, paraplegic, we're not really told that, but it's clear that he can't walk, that that he can't get himself up and get himself to Jesus himself. And and we don't know who initiates this thing, but this young man had an infirmity. He had an infirmity his palsy. Keeps him from doing what he wants to do. And, And listen, no one knows that kind of burden of depending upon other people to help you to do the simple mundane task of life Until you either experience it yourself or you have to help someone who's experiencing those things. You know, most of the people, as I'm looking here tonight, we're all pretty healthy, and maybe there may be someone here that you've got some issues that maybe not most people are aware of, but most of us are able, you know, if you want to get up, you want to go do something, you get up and go do it. And we have the wherewithal to do that. We've got the mental capacity. We've got the physical capacity. But you know, when you start to lose some things in life, sometimes you have to be dependent upon other people. My mother, who... By the grace of God, this Saturday we'll be 93 years of age. My mom lives with us in our home and, and so that's one of the reasons we're not gone for long since, since at a time because we just can't feel like we can leave my mom alone. My dad passed away about 10 years ago and so uh, my, when my mom moved in with us in 2019, as, as I was leaving the pastor, she moved into a suite in our basement and so she's, she's pretty self-sufficient, she can take care of herself she cooks for herself, she cleans for herself, she does her own laundry, and, and she, it's pretty, pretty good. And Even at that point, when she moved in, she had her little car, and she'd go to the grocery, and she'd go to the doctor, and she wanted to go someplace up the stairs. She came, and out the door, she went, where are you going, Mom? Oh, I'll be back, and so away she went, you know. So, in 2020, during COVID, uh, she all of a sudden, she's got this back problem. You know what happens during COVID. You, you know, it's even hard to figure out the most, what doctor, where, where do you take somebody? You, don't, you know, you can't hardly even get into a hospital. So I finally ended up in an emergency room. They did this MRI and realized that she had a broken bone in her back and she had to have surgery. And so I still remember I dropped her off at the door. She had surgery. I couldn't even go in. I dropped her off and she had surgery. A week later, they moved her to a rehab facility. She was there for three weeks and I picked her up three, three weeks after that at the rehab facility and brought her home. And I realized when she came come home that life was going to be different. I still remember saying, Mom, you're not able to drive anymore. Give me the keys. And that was a difficult day. So now that means that all of her grocery shopping and all of her doctor's appointments fall on other people. And I tell you, it grates on her. Because she still has a mental capacity. and She has, still has a will. And she, she doesn't want it to be dependent upon other people. So I get the idea of, from this particular situation that this is not where this man wants to be. He, he doesn't want to be dependent on somebody to pick him up and move him. And so in this text we find, I don't know who initiates it, but the idea of somehow getting this man to a person by the name of Jesus who's working some miracles, someone is getting stirred up. Someone realizes if we can get our friend to Jesus... His life will be different. So, there's a sense of desperation here. Because the Bible tells us that when they pick him up, okay, we'll get four of us together, we can carry him to Jesus. When they get to the house, man, they can't even get in. The Bible says it was so crowded about the door. The the, the place was packed. The people were sitting there listening to Jesus and it wasn't like they're going to part and let them come in. And so, Instead of saying, well, you know, we tried, we're just going to go home. No, no, these men are desperate. And they said, you know what, we're going to make sure that our friend has an opportunity. And the Bible tells us they climbed up on the roof and they began to remove the tiling. Now, i got to tell you, I've been in ministry over four decades and I have been in all kinds of places, preaching all kinds, all, all different, in all t- different types of settings. And I can, I'm going to write a book someday. I'm going to call it the things I've seen in church. Because I've seen some pretty wild things in church. And I've had some pretty interesting experiences. But the truth of the matter is I've never had anything like this happen. Preaching and all of a sudden you see the stuff from the ceiling start to filter down as somebody's peeling stuff away. And all of a sudden now somebody's putting a skylight in right in the middle of the church service. And you look up there and there are four sets of eyes looking down on you. And they say, is the hole big enough? Can we, You think we can get them through? And they begin to lower that cot down on ropes in front of Jesus. You know, instead of Jesus being upset, you know, sometimes it preachers. We can get upset when somebody interrupts our message. Jesus wasn't upset. In fact, verse number five says Jesus was somewhat pleased. Because it says when he saw their faith, he responded to it. Two thoughts. Number one, I want to talk to you for a moment about desperation. You know why we're not reaching the world? You know why we're not reaching our neighborhoods? Because we're not desperate enough. We don't have a sense of desperation. We're not desperate enough to get people to Jesus like these men were. You know, we've seen what desperation looks like here recently in our world, haven't we? I'm an American citizen, and I'm very proud to be an American, although sometimes I'm ashamed of our country and some of its behavior. And a little over a year ago, I was very ashamed of the way our country pulled out of Afghanistan. Afghanistan. I thought it was pitiful the way we withdrew ourselves from there. But what what did we see there? We saw a group of people who became very desperate. When they began to realize that the American forces were leaving and America was pulling out, what did we see? We see people flood an airport. We see people who are so desperate and know what's coming because of the Taliban's rule that they're willing to risk their life and know that they're probably going to die but they're going to cling to a landing gear of an airplane. My friend, that's a sense of desperation. We saw desperation recently in Ukraine, didn't we? When Russia began to begin its warfare towards a small little nation. And we watched as men took their wives and their daughters and put them on trains and tried to get them out of the country. Get them to a place of of safety before this Russian force came in. That's a sense of desperation. Desperation. And I'm here to tell you that I'm afraid that we as American Christians, we've gotten so comfortable, we've gotten so easy in our Christianity that we're not desperate enough to reach the world. Amen. Brother Don Sisk is my friend, and Brother Sisk has been in missions since he was a young, much younger man, and he's now 90 and still travels almost every week preaching, and Brother Sisk was on the phone the other day with me, and here's what he said. Brother Fulcher, we're not having trouble raising money for missions. He said, that's not the problem. What we're seeing is we're seeing a lack of surrender of people to go to the mission field. And the reason is because we're not desperate enough so there's a sense of desperation here. That's one thought that I see in this particular text. But the, but the other thought is that, that, that you know, that it took some men who were willing, when the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. Can I tell you this? That faith is not just something we talk about. It is something that we have to demonstrate. I'll tell you when you're going to demonstrate your faith, right here in this car. See, so you can talk about missions, and you and I can talk about you know how important it is, but this little card will tell us how important it is. And, and your soul winning outreach of your church tells us whether we have faith or not, and our willingness to, to take a step when sometimes life is a little uncomfortable it tells us whether we have faith or not. And I'm just saying, when Jesus saw these men's faith, the Bible says he saw it. He saw it. He, he knew they had it, but he saw it and it pleased him. He saw their faith. It's more than something we talk about. We should care. We should have a burden for the lost world. But we have to demonstrate that. Would you notice finally tonight the focus of Jesus? We find that in verses 6 through 12. It's Jesus' time of instruction is interrupted and as He's teaching and preaching He watches this, this guy lowered in front of Him. And I'm sure that these men, these four men when they came you know they thought well you know we can get this man to Jesus and we, we know his life can be impacted because others have had that happen here. At Capernaum man, all kinds of sickness, people have had demons cast out of them, people have been healed. Man, if we can get our friend to Jesus, then his life can be impacted. But would you notice how Jesus responds to this? As this young man is lowered in front of him, Jesus looks at this young man and says, Son, thy sins be forgiven. Wait a minute. He's got palsy. He came for a physical healing. Well, well, can I just be very transparent with you? I I can understand maybe, maybe even a sense of a little bit of disappointment at this moment because that's you know maybe he doesn't understand that greatest need, and most people don't. Did you know that? You stop the average person on the street and say, what's your greatest need? And, and someone say, well, I need a better job. I need a better house. I need, I need more money in my bank account. I, I need a better retirement program. I, I, I need more, better health care. Whatever the case may be, most people don't realize their greatest need is not something physical, but something spiritual. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus dealt with the spiritual before he dealt with the physical because he could have healed that man in a moment, and he will in just a second. But guess what? The man's still going to die. Every person in this room, and I suppose this is Thursday night and so I'm probably preaching in the choir, but just in case there's someone here, I want you to know you're a dying person tonight. And at some point, your body, like my body, will breathe its last breath, and when it takes its last breath, you will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell for all eternity. And it doesn't matter that you, that you attended a church or you did religious rituals or that even that you were baptized or that you, that, that you do good works in the community. All those things can have a place, but I'm here to tell you, you can do all those things and still die and go to hell. You must, you must, Jesus said, be born again. And Jesus looked at this man, and though he thought he had a need, his greatest need was not a physical need, his greatest need was a spiritual need. And he said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. When he said that, it stirred up the house, didn't it? These guys sitting there, these religious leaders, they're looking at Jesus and say, who does he think he is? No one can forgive sin but God only. They didn't say that out loud. Did you notice that? They didn't say it out loud. They said within themselves. Well, he said, just so that you know, I know what you're thinking. Who can forgive sins but God only? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth. So Jesus said, I'm going to demonstrate the fact that you can't see how that I can forgive sin, but you can see how I can heal. But that you may know that I have power on earth that forgives sins, Son, Take up your bed and walk. And immediately. Can you imagine? I don't know how long this man has been sick. But you know, if you've been sick and you go see a doctor and he's helped you, you know, it's not an immediate situation. I mean, it's, the recovery time sometimes is long. I mean, you know, you've got to go to physical therapy and you've got you to go through all this rigmarole to get that strength back and get that mo- muscle tone back and that movement back. Not so with Jesus. I mean, the man is immediately, he's up, he's walking, he's running, he's taking up his bed. I'm just telling you, what an immediate experience in the life of this man. Amen. And so I say that with you tonight because our world is no different than when Jesus was here. Right. That's right. There are people out there who think they've got all kinds of needs, but their greatest need is to have a relationship with Jesus. Amen. But you know how they're going to get there? No man seeks after God. That's what the Bible teaches us. We don't. We, we, we hear people say, well, I found God. No, no, you didn't find God. God found you. And God used someone to find you. And it may have been a gospel track. It could have been a witness. It could have been a friend who invited you to church. But God used people like God used men to pick up the corner of this cot. And we've got a world that is, is in paralysis tonight. And they're dying and heading to hell. And we got missionaries who say, hey, God has called us to take a message that can transform their life. But we can't do it by ourselves. We need God, and of course God has called them. But we also need people to partner with us to be rope holders. Church this week is about getting desperate to help people get to Jesus. Would you bow your heads together with me in prayer tonight? Thank you so much for being here on this Thursday night as we begin this meeting. Everyone in this room can help people get to Jesus. You may look at yourself and say, you know, I'm not the most outgoing person in the world and I have trouble confronting people or talking to people about their souls. I, I understand that. Many, many, many people struggle in that regard. And we're living in a world today where there's seemingly pushback against spiritual truth. But the truth is, is that God has still called us to be those who share the gospel. And you didn't know what God is doing in someone's life and When God brings them across your path, it's up to us to be responsive and obedient to Christ. To do what God has called us to do. He's told us to to preach the gospel to every creature. There are some places you'll never go. You probably won't go to Taiwan or China. You may not go to Cambodia. You you may not go to some of these places where these missionaries are going. But you can help them go. And you can do that by having a sense of desperation, by praying for them and giving and asking God to bless them. And can I just simply say, parents, maybe we need to get a sense of desperation about our children. God, God would you call my kids to, to serve you? Would you, would you Lord, Lord, they're available. Have you made your family available to God? You say, well, we don't have much. It's not a matter what you have, it's a matter what you're willing to give to God. And God asks all of us to surrender our lives make ourselves a living sacrifice to him would you stand together with me for prayer tonight father bless our time of invitation we pray that you've spoken to hearts in this place and lord may we have a sense of desperation and lord may we have be people whose faith is visible may we not just talk about it but may it be seen by what we do we pray your blessings now in this invitation in christ's name pastor you